0: So, Tone, it's time to talk about a big show in April. Uh, first, I want to give a big thanks to Schedulicity and to Cosmoprof Beauty for, for uh, sponsoring the show. Um, yeah, in Maryland, April 7th and 8th. That's right. So uh, we're actually doing a show and classes, and we have the amazing Presley Poe and her friends. So tell us about her friends. Uh, we have Blushing Maine Sarah Jane Maples. Who, who just, just won an aha. She sure did.
1: We got Updo guru Casey Powell for uh, those amazing Bobby Penn sculptures.
0: It's amazing, right? Yeah. And from uh, Project Runway, we have Jackie and Lynn coming in, and they're going to um, show some uh, editorial work on the stage. And, 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 Lynn does the, fans. and Lynn does the quickest Updo's in the world, so he's going to teach some of that as well. But then tell them what's happening right before the show.
1: Oh, uh, right before the show and right after the show, we have Johnny Cash Livingston. Doing some tattoo barbering, brother.
0: Yeah, and he's open for questions and stuff, too. So, you know, if you have any questions while you watch him work. Yes, sir. Up close and personal. Also, uh, another big thanks to, uh, to Cosmoprof for sponsoring the uh, Shadow Presley Poe. And we're going to have the winner there.
1: Yep. Miss Stephanie dot P dot hair.
0: Yeah. So uh, you'll get a chance to meet her as well. And a big shout out to our boy, Ben Mullen. Ben Mullen. Yeah, he's going to MC the whole event. Can't wait to hear him. So, again, all information will be available at PresleyPoeAndFriends.com. Check it out. Check out the classes. And uh, it's going to be a fantastic weekend. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com
2: slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey. And of course, I'm sitting with my best bud, Tony. What's up, Tony?
1: Almost sitting, homie. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, we're stuck in a snowstorm. So this is the first time we're doing a podcast at different locations uh but man i'm so excited with uh what's going on with this next interview that we're doing uh he's doing some amazing things for our i mean for the world you know what i'm saying right and i i just can't wait to get into his story and what triggered everything that's uh happening in his life
0: yeah i'm pretty excited about it too i mean it, it's kind of a first for us i think i mean we've had lots and lots of people that um that haven't have inspired our industry. And we've had a few that have inspired outside of our industry, but I'm not sure on a human level, you know, if there's anybody in our industry that's doing more than our guests today. Uh, it's
1: funny because we've mentioned him in our in previous podcasts. I'm sure he doesn't know that, but you know what I mean? We've mentioned him and, and we mentioned him to other uh, people that we interviewed. Uh, but yeah, we, uh, for some reason, since we heard his name, uh, something has drawn us to him and to his charity and to, you know, to everything he's doing. And, and I'm just, you know, sucked in. So,
0: <laughs> Well, so why don't you go ahead and introduce everybody to uh, who our guest is and what he's up to a little bit, and then we'll jump in.
1: Well, he, first of all, he's a, uh, he uh, is a founder of um, the James Allen salon in Seattle, Washington. He's a, a found He founded justice and soul, which is a, uh a, a, a Nonprofit charity that uh, takes these sex trafficked or abused teens um, off the street and gives them an opportunity to learn our industry, our great industry. He he founded and uh, he's the director of uh, Kate Corpy Salon and Academy in Cambodia. Uh, there's so much there that we need to dive into, but I gotta dive in. Yeah, so you
0: want to introduce? Tell <laughs> him who he, who he is. <laughs> let's let's do it now, man. So hey. All the way from Cambodia, we have the great Matthew Fairfax. Mr. Matthew Fairfax, thank you very, very much for joining us on your day off.
2: Well, thank you guys so much for having me. And I want to just say that it is very early over here, even though you're getting ready to quit for the day.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I smell
2: dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm smelling coffee right now. So, yeah,
0: The but Cambodia um, time change is no joke.
2: No, it is not. So you're yeah, 12 we're hours ahead? 12 hours ahead of you guys, so I know the future. If you, want to, if you have any questions, just let <laughs> What's me know. The lottery number? <laughs> I'll call you
0: Super Bowl Monday.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh, I'm actually 15 hours ahead of my home state, uh, Seattle, in Seattle, Washington. So it's always tricky when I have meetings uh, planning. You know, uh, how far I went? To... Yeah, so it's great. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So, so yeah. Matthew, where are you from? I'm originally from Spokane, Washington, uh, but I graduated uh, and probably within two months I hightailed it out of there and spent the majority of my life in Seattle. So Seattle wins, it's my hometown. Oh, excellent. <laughs> is that where you went to hair school or
1: is that where you discovered? This is the funny this? thing.
2: So uh, I never, I don't do hair, I've never done hair. <laughs> I just, (laughs) I know, everybody's like, you're a hairstylist? No, actually. Um, So the salon that I have in Seattle, that I own in Seattle, uh, just to kind of correct what you said earlier, I actually didn't found that. I bought it. So my partner and I at the time, he was managing it, and and the founders, uh, Kurt Kilman, and he was ready to move on. And we were ready to get into it. And so in 1999, we bought the salon. And then about seven years later, I bought my partner out. We went separate ways. And so I've now owned it since, full owned it since 2007.
1: That's right. I'm used to being correct and my wife corrects
2: me all the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Matthew, how did no, you, you find the industry? Well, I- interestingly enough, I was at, I worked for a, a clothing manufacturer, Genera Sportswear, and so that was my first taste of fashion and in this industry and how fast changing and cool it was. And then I, uh, but my background was in human resources. I was working in human resources at Janair. And so I kind of spent, you know, uh, uh, 25 years doing HR stuff. But in the process, uh, because of my partner, I, I started going to hair shows with him. And I remember sitting at uh, a hair show that Sebastian did for the launch of Exta and Robert Labetta was doing this amazing, unbelievable show we did in a warehouse, and it, it, there was a tank of water, and he was dropping people in the water, and then he's razor cutting their hair, and, and it was, there, there are no rules. X did the whole thing was there are no rules, break the rules or whatever. And I'm uh, standing there, and I remember in that moment saying, I'm gonna get into this industry. I don't know how, but I'm going to be part of it. And uh, a few years later, we had the opportunity to buy the salon. I did some training. Actually, I started with uh, development and doing work with salon services and started training uh, doing communication styles, team building, and organizational development stuff. And then through that, decided to buy the salon, bought the salon, never looked back. So...
0: That's amazing. You know, what's interesting is actually Tony and I, we, we went to that same tour, that same Exeter tour. Uh, we did it in Philadelphia with Robert LaBetta. And it was, and as you, as you pointed out, it was absolutely mind blowing, you know, and yeah. I can see why, how that could, that energy could just you could just enter your body and not let go. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then every hair show I went to afterwards would be, I think sometimes I walked out more inspired than my stylist. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, they'd be like oh that's all fun and games but when you get into real life you don't get to dunk them in the tank and raise your, <laughs> the crap out of their hair and i'm like i don't care i would do it i would find a client that would be willing to do it so yeah it was it, it was pretty fun for me
0: that's awesome
1: so, so how did so, so so how did justice and soul come about then well that's the thing so uh, i left oh, the I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt but yeah 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 before you tell us how that came about, tell the people what it is.
2: Ah, yes. So Justice and Soul, back in 2012, uh, we, uh, uh, that's when the foundation got started. I'll tell you how we did. But it really, our whole focus is to introduce uh, traffic survivors, both boys and girls, as well as at-risk youth, into the cosmetology world we give them we equip them with vocational skills so that they can go out and earn a living and feel awesome about what they're doing so uh and you know to tell you a little bit of, about how it started i mean i i had no i had very limited knowledge about trafficking issues as i think a lot of people did at that i mean this was back i was first introduced in 2008 2008 was before Ashton Kutcher went off and was doing his thing. And people started making this, like uh, putting it on the, uh, you know, out there so we could see it and hear about it. And so uh, it just didn't impact me. I didn't think about it. And so I was busy. And our salon is very philanthropic and does a lot of community work. And what happened is one of my clients came into the salon and said, you guys are always you know, doing stuff and helping people. Have you ever thought about doing work in Cambodia? To one of my stylists, and my stylist then came to me and said, Carol would like to talk to you uh, about Cambodia. She's wondering if we'd consider Cambodia to help. And I said, No. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know where Cambodia is. All I know is it's hot. Right. <laughs> No, I, I, we have enough work to do here. No. So tell her, thank you, but no. So Carol comes back and, and as I've learned about Carol, she is very persistent and she doesn't let go easily. And so she talked again to April and then April came to me and said, you should at least go have coffee because she's a client. I'm like, ah, damn it. She threw down a client card. Now I got to go have coffee. So, I go, I have coffee with her. I tell people now coffee is dangerous because <laughs> honestly, I've drank wine, I've drank beer, I've done a lot of meetings uh, over liquids, but never have I made this kind of commitment. So uh, I walked away after two hours and I thought, how can I not get involved? There's got to be something I can do because when she started describing the conditions here, we're talking eight nine, ten-year-old girls that are being uh, put in, I mean, they're either being sold, duped, or stolen and, and stuck in brothels. And I realized at that time, it's like, I have a granddaughter. You know, this could be her. And I, I, it's just that it's like something clicked. And then what happens for me is I get a little, you know, it's like the Grinch. His heart grew three times and we don't know why. Right. What happens for me is I get, you know, it's like, no, no, no. And then I'm like, oh, I gotta do something. And it just like clicks. And then my vision goes big. And I'm like, I, I can't just do a simple thing like, hey, let's do a fundraiser. It's like, no, hey, let's go over there and open up a salon. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back to my team and I said to my team, so I, I I talked to her, I talked to a couple of the stylists, and then at our uh, salon Retreat, which was just a few weeks after, I, I, I brought it up to the team. And I said, hey, here's what's going on. And Carol wants us to consider this. And what do you guys think? And they were like, yeah, we totally should check it out. Let's figure something out. And then Lauren, uh, who was one of my stylists at the time, said, I already know about this. I'm sending money over there. If you do this, I want to go. She pulled out her gold collage that we had just finished. We hadn't even presented our collages yet. She pointed at the gold collage and she said, there's Cambodia on my gold collage. Wow! I'm like, okay, this is crazy. So that was October 2008 that we were doing this. And she pushed and pushed and cajoled and finally found a spot on my calendar where I could, because I was doing consulting as well as running the salon. And so it was like May. So May in 2009 was when we first made our first trip over here. So we left uh, in early May. It was super hot over here in Cambodia. And I spent about three days in culture shock. It was like, what did I just do? (laughs) But we met with so many people and We had this very small, very small uh, picture and what we were gonna do. And so we were telling people, we wanna open up a a hair salon, maybe three months, four months, teach them a few skills and send them out to their villages. And everybody was like, oh good, okay. You know, People are kind, They, they wanna be polite, they don't. But I had a few good friends. And one of them was my dear friend, Helen. And she uh, sat down. She wasn't my friend then. <laughs> I didn't know her. <laughs> and we, we sat down and she said, uh, we, uh, we told her what we we're going to do, three months, four months, send them back to the village. And she said, you know, that's a nice idea, but take your toys and go home. <laughs> <Wow>. is, <laughs> maybe, maybe not quite that blunt, but pretty blunt. Is, is Helen yeah. Cambodian? No. Helen was from uh, uh, Bristol in England. But she was, she had been here for like, I don't know, 15 years at the time. And she headed up the coalition of Chub Dye. And Chub Dye pulls together all these organizations that are here doing work uh, in Cambodia, specifically focused on trafficking. So she said, take your toys and go home. It's not sustainable. She said, donors will get weary and they'll stop giving money and you'll spend all this time trying to get more money. She said, "Go home and put together a sustainable plan, something that will be self-sustaining, that can grow itself, and then come back." And I left there, and Lauren was like devastated. She's like, "That was the worst meeting we've had." <laughs> and became, and I, what happens for me is, I just get challenged. I'm like, "Oh fuck that! We're gonna figure this out. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna make this happen." And so I came back, took us two more years because we were moving our salon in 2010. And so we did all that, we talked about it, and she said, We got to go back. And I'm so grateful to Lauren because if she hadn't pushed, I don't know that we would have made that second trip. And that second trip was the pivotal trip because when we got here, everything had changed. The, you could see the economic environment growing. And all of a sudden, I realized what if instead of just small, we thought big, what if we put in a high-end Western-style hair salon and we target the wealthier Cambodians and the uh, expats, the, the people that are, are living there working for the embassy, the people that are working at the NGOs, and because there's a huge community of foreigners living here. What if we target them? And then the salon charges enough money that it can pay the scholarships for the students to go through our program. And so when I floated that by a couple people, they're like, that could work. And a couple people are still in resistance saying, no way. But there were still some that said, that could work. But I knew if that was going to work, I would have to move here. And that was, I will never forget the moment we were driving around in the tuk-tuk and I said to Lauren, I think I need to move here. And her eyes got big and she looked at me and I started to tear up and I said, do not tell anybody I just said that?
0: Yeah, including me. I don't want to hear that.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's, just, let's just pretend that didn't come out of my mouth. Um, just and- slow down a little bit. So
0: I mean, at that point, like, how do the work visas work? How does, like, how do you... Uh, I'm just going to move...
2: I didn't your... know. I didn't know. I didn't even think about it. I was just... In the moment, I knew that this wouldn't grow to the vision that I had if one of us wasn't there. And Lauren was starting her family, and she had all kinds of things. So that it was, it, it was just obvious I was the one to go. My kids are grown up. The salon is very steady. So... <clears throat> I thought, okay, I'll start figuring this out. And I we started the foundation. But what happened was I needed to make sure that I could create a community. I had to make sure that I would be able to get over here and not isolate myself. I wanted to make sure I could make friends. Um, we're working in a, a predominantly faith-based community. I'm not a, a faith-based person. I'm, I'm a very spiritual person, but I don't own one particular religion. And so I didn't want to get over here and feel like I can't drop the F-bomb or I can't go out and have beers or whatever. So I decided to come over and spend six weeks and really do my homework and meet people and make sure that this would work. So I told my leadership team only. And I said to them, this is your chance. I want you to run the show without me. I want you to make all the decisions and only check with me if you're, you know, scared or whatever, but I think you guys can do it. I'm going to go over there and try this out. I spent two weeks here and in the end of the two weeks, I knew there was no question I'm coming. And by the time I uh, got to the end of the six weeks, I had a whole group of friends that I was having a beer with and saying goodbye and saying, don't worry, I'll be back uh, conversations. So I went back to my team, and while I was gone, mind you, they hired somebody, fired somebody, and spent $800 of my money to fix the vacuum system. So I like, all right, they're ready. They don't need me. So That is so I, bold
1: because here you are. You just moved your salon. Your salon's being successful. Now here you are going to a totally different country, impoverished country, that you're leaving your salon that you built uh, yeah. back. In, in in the hands of people that you trust, which is great, but it's still, it's not you. And here you are in Cambodia taking on, thinking about taking on a project or, you know, in your heart, you knew it, it was right, but taking on this project and at home, it all could have fell apart and then yeah. you would have had nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that that's, that's to me is so amazing that you risk, your life
2: to save others, oh, and i I never looked at it that way, um but it's crazy to hear you say that i I think what I did was I had so much confidence in my team. I honestly believed in them, and they have been with me. Our turnover rate is super, super low, and so some my uh I just celebrated one of my stylists has been in the salon. So she was there before I bought it. Uh, I think uh, she just hit her thirty-five year mark. Wow! So the average tenure is probably twelve to fifteen years in my salon. Wow! So that speaks volumes of you. Well, thank you. I mean, but this is my HR background too. So the you know the other thing is if you get the right systems in place, you treat your employees well, they stay. You know, so I just had so much confidence in them. Then I, I, I that was not a, I never thought of it the way you just put it so that's crazy so thank you yeah I guess I guess I did take a risk there but it was it didn't feel risky to me so um, it was go ahead
1: No, I was gonna say so 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 your leaders knew and you knew it was the right
2: so when did you drop the bomb to everybody <laughs> at my birthday party I was throwing a big fiftieth birthday bash and so I decided. That's when I'm going to drop the bomb to everybody. So I was like, guess what? This isn't just my birthday party. Yay, it's a fundraiser. <laughs> <laughs> and There's some envelopes on the table. Feel free to fill them out. And uh, so, yeah, we raised about $10,000 that day. And because uh, it was a pretty big crowd. Um, and that was August. I dropped, you know, so my team knew. I told my team first. And then I told a few other people and then I told everybody in the birthday and then I, um, moved. So that was 2012, August of 2012. And by July, 2013, I had sold everything that I own, um, except for like maybe about four boxes of stuff, my salon and my children. Those, uh, that, <laughs> and I technically don't own my children, but, um, so yeah, I, I uh, got rid of everything and I, you know, I'm a big Christmas fan. I love Christmas and my Christmas trees are amazing and all my, so when all my friends saw my Christmas trees going up for sale, I knew I was serious. So that, that was kind of like, Oh my God, he's really going to do this. Yes. Yeah, so, <clears throat> so that I moved over here July, 2013 uh, was when, I flew, landed, uh, middle of the month into Cambodia.
0: So you so, went, so what's that five years. So it was a five year from your first time over there till you opened the thing. I mean, what incredible focus. And and then what were, were you during that five years? How were you supporting the Cambodian, um, um, well, whatever you were doing, how, how did you put yeah. your dream and stuff for five years?
2: Well, so here's the thing that I tell people, one of my friends that was helping me kind of on this end, like, uh connect me with people, he said to me, I really appreciate how much time this is taking you. I appreciate that you're taking your time. And I was like, well, yeah, but it seems like too long. But I'm, I, when I do something, I want to do it right. And there were so many loose you know things to figure out so you're you're like visas and how do i set up an ngo and how do i set up a nonprofit? so in america we call them nonprofits. over in cambodia and the rest of the world they're called non-governmental organizations or ngos so i'm like i don't you know all of this so that five years was for me to pace myself to make sure that this was going to be done properly and i think that's also why helen said to me go do your homework people just come over here and it's not enough to have a good heart and think I'm just going to help people. It's like, no, have business sense, do it right. Or if you're going to open up a, you know, uh, some other program over here, make sure that you have expertise or others that have expertise in that area because, you know, just because your heart's good doesn't mean you're good at business. Just because your heart's good doesn't mean you're good at running an organization.
1: What's what's even even more insane is that you're going over there and you're starting um, a salon and an academy from scratch, and you're not even a hairdresser, right? So, <laughs> so it's not it's not like you can even like you know get your hands dirty in that. So you're bringing people in, but yeah, yeah. It, it it's just so mind blowing that you're so you're so determined, and so focused that I mean, you you made it work, you made it happen.
2: Well, not doing hair is probably one of my saving graces because the problem that hairdressers get into when they open up a salon is things get bad and they get behind the chair and then they lose sight of what their business is. Um, And so the, the, the thing I'm grateful for is that's not me. And ironically, the person that we hired to be our educator when we first opened ended up leaving just a few months after we opened. And so now I was like, oh, my gosh. Now what? (laughs) So, but we had guest artists lined up. I'll tell you this. uh, Salon Today ran an article about a year before I even got here. And uh, I got an email and a call from a salon owner in Chicago. And he said, we read your article. We've got people, they want to come, you know, so let me know when you're ready for volunteers. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I haven't even started this thing yet. Mm -hmm. How it, but it was what my vision was. My vision was, other people will want to get involved once they know. Stylists will want to help. Manufacturers will want to help. You know, so I just knew <clears throat> that it wasn't going to be just me. I knew that other people would want to be involved. That's a inc- so that's incredible.
0: I mean, I kind of want to. <laughs> We're jumping ahead a little bit, but I kind of want to get into those details. So how does, how does, a, how does a, a, a stylist volunteer their time? And then do they also have to volunteer to get over there and to put themselves up as well?
2: Yeah. Yeah, what they do, most volunteers come a minimum. We have a minimum of one month uh, because it's too much uh, to learn and take in and cultural. You, your first week is jet lag and culture shock. So we work people through that and then we get them into the program. So it's one month minimum. Um, But many of our guest artists will come for six or eight weeks. Um, We've had a couple stay for three months. And in fact, that's how we have our lead educator right now. She was like maybe a month uh, after our uh, educator left and she stayed for two months, November, December, and she loved it. And her life has changed. So, uh, but they, what they do is they, a lot of times they'll do some crowdsourcing, they'll fundraise, uh, save their money, and yeah, they fly over. Accommodations and things are pretty reasonable here, so it's not super expensive. So they come over, pay their way when they're over here, and they've got to raise enough money because most of them still have bills to pay for the time that they're not at work. Right. So, and then they come over and spend uh, spend that time with us working with the – so they'll work directly with the students, but usually the the educator will be doing the class, and then the guest artist will help. They'll support the class. They'll work one-on-one with the students. Um, or uh, And then they do hair. So we also have them uh, taking clients and working with our clientele because all of our students are apprentices, so they all assist. So it's a two-and-a-half-year program where you know they're basically every day watching and seeing and they know how a real salon is run and you know we and it is like i mean the the nice thing is for you know uh fifty thousand dollars i was able to put together a pretty beautiful salon for cambodia standards and it rivals anything uh, in the states so uh, they get to be
0: a part of that. Okay. A couple more questions. So like if, yeah. if, if Tony and I, we wanted to go, like what, what, what would, so let's say, what would the monthly cost be for, for us to come over? And I don't mean for our bills, but what, what, you know, to fly out there to put us up for a month and stuff like what's, what's a four week, you know, budget that we should, that we should budget for to come, to come out and work, and, and work with you or, you know, if anybody well, wanted to.
2: I think airfare, you're looking at maybe, uh, it depends on the part of the country, but I, I would say 1500 is an average. That's right. Um, right. But a lot, of, a lot of times people will uh, get online and they'll find all these specials, so they'll be coming in on an $800 fare. So it is possible to get cheaper. And uh, that's your biggest ticket item because once you get over here, uh, for a month's worth of accommodations there, we have several Airbnbs that people will stay at, and you know you can get a month Airbnb for $400. Wow. <clears throat> um, so and uh, every now and then people will wanna stay in a hotel or a guest house or something like that, and everything's negotiable in Cambodia, so you can negotiate with the guest house and maybe get $20, $25 a night. Uh, for a decent uh guest house, so it just depends on what your comfort levels are. I had one friend stay in a beautiful uh, hotel for like forty dollars a night um so and then your food uh you could plan on ten to twelve dollars a day. Wow. ten dollars is reasonable uh, but you know especially if you're in an Airbnb and you can uh eat your breakfast at home and um, but if you eat Western style food, you're going to pay some, you know, it's going to be higher. If you like to drink, you know, it's still really cheap. You can get a decent cocktail for three fifty or 4 bucks, and, you know, a glass of wine, you know, for three. It's crazy when I come home and I order a glass of wine and it's $12. I'm like, what? That's a bottle?
0: So basically I mean you know just by doing like raw math there so I mean basically somebody could come out and spend a month with you and you know add $2500 to their to the monthly budget yeah. and they can do that I mean that's amazing yeah. and 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 for for the return on that that that's yeah. incredible
2: and and most most guest artists will take a three-day weekend or something and go up to uh, Reap to see Angkor Wat, because Angkor Wat is amazing. There's so many beautiful parts of this country, and the people are amazing. I mean, I've been there all over Southeast Asia, and I have yet to meet the hearts uh, like I meet in Cambodia. I mean, it's just a generous, kind country for sure.
0: I think it's time for you to buy like a big old house out there and then just start renting out the rooms yourself for your guest Uh,
2: artists. I seriously, I thought about that. I mean, you know, because we just had graduation. So two of our students just graduated every January we hold graduation now. So we're up to eight students and we had like seven guest artists return for the the graduation. Uh It's become it's like this family. So we have a Facebook uh, group that's now all guest artists and alumni. And so they they get on and they share. So if somebody new is coming over, then they jump on and then they meet people and they're like, what do I do about this? And, so it's all, it, and then they come back to Seattle every year for our uh, fashion solstice fundraiser. So we do a big fashion show with the runway and uh, salons from all around the Pacific Northwest, put uh, people together. Last year we raised $170,000 in one evening. Yeah. And that's our, that's our major fundraiser. And this year we're, we're downtown Seattle at Bell Harbor. Uh, so it's going to be a big event. So yeah. So once, once people get into the uh, Justice and Soul family, they're, they don't want to leave. Uh, they 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 want to follow their students. They want to see what happens, and do they graduate, and blah blah blah. Where did they go? So,
1: You're doing uh, good for for people, which is great. So, talking about those kids, how do you how do you find them?
2: Uh, all of our students come through NGOs, so the non governmental organizations, so the nonprofits that we have over here. Um, and so uh, basically they get rescued from brothels, they get pulled off the street or they get pulled out of orphanages uh, because a lot of kids uh, have come through systems of abuse. And so they're highly at risk. Uh, so so most of them have some level of trauma in their background. Um, and And some of them have far less trauma than others, which we like the blended community because their coping strategies are healthier than some trauma survivors. And so it's helpful for them to kind of learn from each other. Um, And yeah, so they usually spend a year or so within another organization, getting the emotional support that they need, getting kind of reacclimated to what life is going to be like. And so they come to us, they apply just like anybody else applies and we interview them And we look at their skills and ability and we assess whether we think they can stay in a program for two and a half years. And then we do. And honestly, uh, out of, let's see, we have nine students now uh, and eight graduates. So we have 19 total that have been to the program. Only two have left prematurely but one of them still doing hair one of them went up to St. rip and and got into a salon anyway so Mm -hmm. only one student is not uh graduated or doing something
1: do they do they feel like your children after a while oh
2: yeah i mean they it's hard because i do keep a professional you know but yes Of course, I'm super proud of them. And of course, I'm, you know, I brag about them. And it's like, yes, these are my family. And I, I got to watch them. I mean, some of them drastically change. And sometimes it's like almost overnight. It's like we work and work and work. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my God, it clicked. It's happening. So yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's amazing. It's, it's cool. really.
0: What are the cool. um? What are the ages of your students? Like, what's what's the youngest that you've had? And what's the oldest?
2: Uh, the youngest is fifteen uh, that came into our program, and the oldest was twenty-four. And uh, you know, we uh, this year we just launched our domestic program as well in Seattle, and uh, so we. Uh, the age ranges are, are typically higher in Seattle and in the States because the laws regulate that. But we have uh, what we've done in Seattle, so we can't just open up a Kate Corpus Salon and Academy in the States for multiple reasons. Number one is you can't open a, a school that easily, it's very complicated in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention that sometimes cosmetology schools are not always the nicest places. Girls don't, you know, people don't always play nicely together. Let's put it that way. And if you're working with marginalized uh, students anyway, people that have been uh, in a very tough, you know, traumatizing experience, it's not always healthy to put them into a cosmetology school. But on top of that, uh, I don't want to create a school where everybody says, oh, that's, that's the those are the traffic girls. Oh, let's go to the traffic salon. Because what we believe is that our students are future focused. They have a right to let go of their past if they choose. And sadly, our society wants to keep them stuck in their past, whether it's through judgment, which happens over here, or whether it's through uh, sympathy uh, over in the States. And what, Our stylists want is not sympathy, and they don't want judgment. They want to be the powerful, amazing stylist that they can be. And they don't want to attach their past to their future. They want to let it go and move forward. So we want to create an apprenticeship program into our partner salons, sympathetic salons that are already working with us to raise money. They're already working with us for the cause. So they're the ones that are applying to become apprentice salons. And then in the States, so over here, the salon is is generating enough money to pay for the student. In the States, that's not possible because it's still, even in an apprenticeship program, it costs about the same as if I put them through a cosmetology program. It's gonna be about 20 to $25,000 because we have to pay their wages. So we work with the salon, we partner with Adarashi uh, Apprenticeship Program and they do all the administrative pieces of it and really help work with the salon. So, if your salon is interested in becoming an uh, apprenticeship, and not all, I think 33 states allow apprenticeship programs, but we can work with you and set you up in this program and then work with the local uh, nonprofits that are working with traffic survivors to find uh, uh, students and candidates that are ready to be placed.
0: What an amazing opportunity, man. I mean, I'm just, yeah. Matthew, you just, you just stole my heart a little bit, man. I got to be honest. Yeah.
1: I, was, it, I was thinking <laughs> the same thing. I said, what a beautiful human being. I know.
2: You know oh I mean? my gosh. You know, it's so funny because I, you know, people are like, how'd you do that? And honestly, on a day-to-day basis, I don't think it just feels normal to me. I mean, my salon is amazing and they're running, you know, quite, I mean, it's been five years, and they've increased revenue every year except for one. So if that part feels normal, coming here and going to work and walking my dog and, um, you know, having a barbecue with the students, it's like, it feels normal to me. But I realize when I hear things like this, I guess it isn't normal. I guess not everybody sells everything and moves to Cambodia. So, all right, I am different. (laughs) So, so Matthew, I want uh, just back up
0: just a half step. Um, you said that, um, you know, when, when your students come into the U.S., you know, they don't want to be judged and they don't want the empathy or the sympathy. So what, um, what's the response to them in Cambodia? Is it a more forgiving kind of society? And you like,
2: yeah, no, uh, actually, let me clarify. One is the students in the U.S. are our own kids. They're not foreigners. So that's where people get confused. They think that the trafficking problem in the U.S. is that we're bringing uh, people in and, and selling them. But the reality is, it's our own teenagers. I mean, the, we have a huge, huge problem in the U.S. Okay, the so, so our
0: own teenagers, you mean like, like U.S.-born teenagers? Not
2: Yes, okay. yes. Like your neighbor's daughter uh-huh. who ran away from home or who was just online and some guy said, you would make a beautiful model come meet me. And pretty soon he's her boyfriend and then he's her pimp and she can't get out. And it starts as innocently as that at the age of 14 or 15. And then they're on, you know, backpage.com and then they're being pimped out everywhere. And now they're 23 years old and they can't get out. They have, they don't, they have no skill. They don't know how to get out. Their families, you know, are not around. So, I really wanna, I have to work hard at clarifying that because people just think, oh, well, I'm not, it doesn't bother me, it's not impacting me, but it is. It's happening on a regular basis in our own. I mean, there was a, a doctor and his wife that their daughter was lured into trafficking. So it can be, yeah. So that is a big challenge. And so as one of our things is to dispel that myth that these trafficked people in the US are foreigners. No, they're U.S. citizens that are being trafficked, but here in Cambodia, it is different. If somebody is trafficked, they're tainted goods, and so uh, they—that's why we don't we don't talk about this. We never—you'll see that our students' pictures are on K Corby. Our students will post their pictures, but we never put a student's face or name to the foundation. So we really keep Justice soul, justice and Soul separate from Kate Corpy because here uh, there are, traditionally, it's just, you know, it's it's not as bad as some countries. I think India is much worse, but you'd be considered unclean. And it's like, no, there would be people that say, you're not touching my hair. You were a prostitute. You're not touching my hair. So there's still that stigma that goes with it.
0: How do you keep that anonymity in your salon, though? I mean we heard about
2: you. How is not, how is everybody not here? Because we don't talk about it. Well, because in Cambodia uh, we just, we just are a great hair salon. So I would say at least half of our clientele, even the expats, the foreigners that come in, do not know the background. So we talk about our, our uh, students as they're underprivileged youth. So if somebody says, I want my daughter to come here, it's like, well, we're working with underprivileged youth. So they all come from NGOs. So it's easy to kind of just say, so underprivileged could be anything. And there is, you know, so there is compassion among the uh, Khmeri for, you know, kids that need a hand up. So that's different. And so, but yeah, so we just don't talk about it. It's not necessary. The reality is that's not our story over here. Our story is we create amazing stylists. They have a bright future.
1: So that's, that's yeah, that's amazing, man. That is, you know, like like Corey said, I'm, I, I'm really touched and I, I think it's so beautiful.
2: Well, well, thank you. I, you know, I think it's a story that, uh, People, when they hear about it and they realize they can do something about it, it makes a difference. And every one of us, so not everybody can come to Cambodia. I tell people that. But there are different things you can do within your own community. Number one, one of the things we want to do is create an awareness building program. And we're in the process of our 10-year strategic plan so that we can figure out. We want to be able to go into salons and teach them how to look for the signs of someone who's being trafficked because it's just like doctors. Uh, they also have, you know, they get training in what are signs of abuse and what are signs of being trafficked. And every salon, I mean, because pimps have to keep their girls pretty or keep their boys handsome. So they've got to do something and so they take them into salons. And you, there are signs, there are clear signs of when somebody's being controlled. So we want to be able to help educate salons on that. So salons can take a lead in that we they can do fundraisers because we're not the only game in town there are a lot of other organizations like us that are doing uh, similar work i don't think anybody has uh, quite the model because my model i believe is what we call a freedom business and the reality is any business can do what we're doing so anybody with a heart so if anybody who's not a hairdresser happens to be listening and they sell shoes or make shoes or they uh, They're an IT person. All of that can be done in Cambodia or anywhere else, and we can be working with survivors. We just have to take a little extra time to create the parameters for it.
0: Bravo, so. Mr. Matthew Fairfax. It, that, that's pretty <laughs> incredible. All right, I want to put you in the hot seat a little bit. All right. All right. Here we go. It's not, not going to be too bad, I promise. But um. Okay. Like how? like nobody comes to, and I don't, this is a terrible use of word, but, you know, nobody comes to you clean, right? And and, and I would argue that nobody comes to any place, any any job. So, but because they have such, um, I assume they have such horrific trauma stories, like like how do you, how do they mature past that, especially only being, you know, at the oldest, 24 years old, you know, even the, the full frontal lobe isn't even um, developed. And like, like, what is your role in, as far as like, I mean, let's be honest, how do you parent them through that, I think, is the best way. To-
2: right. Yeah. And th- that's where my HR background really, really comes in handy. And it does, it takes more patience. But the thing is, there are different levels of it. And so I know that if I'm not here in the salon, we would have to hire somebody who's probably an HR um social worker basically so you hire somebody with a a background that's worked with trauma survivors but to be honest uh, the the most important thing is it takes patience and and the the nature of the work that I do attracts wounded warriors anyway so man by that we're all wounded in some way or another but usually somebody that has their own scars wants to get involved in making sure other people don't get scars. And so we spend time working with our employees as well as our students in how to cope, how to stress. You know, It's different for somebody who's lived in the U.S. coming over here. So I spend a, a good amount of my time coaching my leaders and my employees so that they can then coach the students. But there are times that I have to jump in an example early early on in the game I uh, I was working with a couple of the students and they were practicing a blowout and uh, they were not necessarily you know we, we had a rule you know when you're practicing blowout if you're the student but you're pretending you're uh, a client you have to be a good client really participate as a client if you're the stylist treat them like a real stylist. As the client. And so I came by and a couple of them were not really doing it. And I could tell there was some issues going on. I'm like, you guys, I mean it. You need to make sure that you're acting like a, a professional stylist when you're doing this and you be a good client. And that's all. I mean, that was that, honestly, that was the extent of it. And, and uh, the blow dry finished. The student grabbed his stuff and he was ready to leave in tears. And I'm like, whoa, what happened here? So I'm like, come on, come into the office, Just come in here. And he sat down and for about 10 minutes while he would, he just cried. And I just let him cry because there was nothing in that moment that, you know, and once he got down, I said, what, what is going on? I I get a little emotional actually now I'm thinking about it. Um, I said, what's going on? And what I had done is inadvertently, I had triggered something for him because he said, whenever my father yelled at me, I knew that a hit was going to follow. And he was waiting for me to hit him. And uh, so that it triggered the pain, all that pain came rushing back because somebody who he respected his, you know, I am, whether I like it or not, I'm a father figure to my students. and. It triggered for him, and uh, took about 40 minutes to work through that, and it took another year for him to really believe that there's no way I would ever hurt him. There's no way that I would cause some of the same pain that he's been through. So I think one of the biggest things is the consistent this is why our program's two years, two and a half years, because you can't develop that kind of trust and self-esteem and confidence. In six months, it doesn't happen. They have so much baggage. You have to have time and patience. I, I had a organization that, that wanted to look at maybe doing grants for us. And they said, well, we like the, the idea, but it's too long. Can you shorten that? Can you do it in six months or a year and get more people through? And I said, listen, you can't rush self-esteem that doesn't happen in six months you can't build that kind of confidence where somebody can have a consult with somebody from a different country and feel confident that they understand and cut their hair so there yeah so it 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 takes a lot of patience I think that is the biggest thing
1: does he does he still work with you
2: uh he's he's graduated and he's doing an amazing job in another salon on his own yeah he was my uh, one of my first graduates he yeah i see him i still see him he comes in i'm actually coaching him he wants to open his own salon and i said you're not ready you need to save up some money and you need to make more mistakes so do that on somebody else's clients first and then we'll open your slide. <laughs>
0: Great <laughs> advice. So do, do yeah. have any of your graduates stayed in your school?
2: Yes. We uh, have three of our graduates uh that graduated last year that are part of our new talent team and two the two that just graduated both just want uh want to stay on. But interestingly enough, so Cambodia's structure is a lot different, and everybody uh, works a minimum of six days, but we only work five. And one of my graduates uh, has been working with his NGO organization that that kind of pulled him out, and he wants to continue helping them. And they've opened up kind of a more of like an intro to cosmetology, and he's been helping them. So he's going to work two days with them and four days with us. And he wants to help others experience some of the freedom that he got. So it's a pay it forward, beautiful. It's exactly what we want. So,
0: yeah, Yeah. that's incredible. I mean, so Matthew, tell us like, how do people find you? How can they, how can they, what do you need? Do you need money? Do you need people, you know, kind of tell us walk us through how people can get in touch with you and, and, you know, we'll 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 jump on this amazing industry that we have, and and see who can um can rush out and help you.
2: Uh, I uh, so th- we need yes all of the above. Number one, uh, our website uh dot org uh, has all the information on uh, first fashion solstice. So we're doing we're getting ready. March twenty third is our big fashion fundraiser in Seattle. So anybody in the Northwest, come get involved. Uh, there's a couple slots open for salon still but we need volunteers for the day of we need donations so that we could put them in the silent auction. Um, we'd love to get, you know, uh, uh, guest artists signed up to come over here. We try and keep six to eight months of guest artists on the books, you know, mapped out. So there's an online application under the get involved tab on our website. Everybody has to apply. They go through, it's a, i mean we have to be pretty serious about our interview process to make sure that their skill strengths there they have to have three years of experience behind the chair Uh, but yeah we'd love to get guest artists so you can go online and find out about that Um, do fundraisers in your own community just uh, you know people can do a -a cut-a-thon for the day people can Uh, actually, I have somebody in San Diego, so shout out to Southern California. My friend, one of our guest artists, Nika, is working on putting together a Fashion Solstice fundraiser in Southern California, 2020. So if anybody's down there and thinks that they're event planning or they love anything like that, great. Let's get involved with that. And if your state has an apprenticeship program and you're interested in becoming a host salon, Uh, reach out to us uh, on the website There you can, uh, there's email addresses for both Sarah and myself. Um, Sarah is our executive director in Seattle. And because what we want to do is just create a list of what states who's interested. And then we'll, we'll, once we get this, you know, this is our first year in in the Northwest, but then we want to be able to expand that to other states. So there's multiple ways uh, that people can get involved. Um, but, yeah, fundraising is, is big for us right now because it's expensive to run the program in the States. Well, there you go.
1: So whoever's listening,
0: please, you know, get involved one way or another.
2: <laughs>
0: give time, give money, give something. Yep. Yeah. Mr. Matthew yeah. Fairfax. We truly, truly appreciate you, brother. 100%. It's uh.
2: Well, thanks. Thank you guys. I, you know, this was worth getting up at the crack of dawn. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if I could start my day every day, like this, this would be awesome. No, seriously. Thank you though, for giving us a voice um, and for spreading the message because uh, it, it makes a difference. And I, I, I can't do it alone. That is for sure.
0: Well, I think what you guys are doing, what your organization doing, doing is incredible, and um, I, I'm just, I'm very honored that, that that we're that we're able to share your story, and to share your organization with our industry. Um, I know there's others that you know have shared your story as well, but I'm just glad that um, that we're able to do that for you as well. So, uh, I mean, just amazing, Mr. Matthew Fairfax. Thank you very, very much for joining us on your day off.